morning we are continuing our series of studies, as you know, on the Sermon on the Mount. And as we come to this passage together, I wanted to share with you an email I received some weeks ago, from, in fact it was more than that, it's probably six or eight months in fact, from a daughter whose mother was 96 years old and living in assisted accommodation. And each morning, because of the quarantine, she would phone her mom and check that her mom was doing well. And one morning she phoned and she said, how are you this morning? And she said, not great, I'm a little worried. And her daughter asked her, what are you worried about? They are looking after you, did you have a bad night, have you fallen? Tell me what's concerning you. She said, well, it's nothing really, but I am a little concerned. And her daughter now, of course, the alarm bells were going off in her mind, and her concern was mounting by the second. And she said, well, tell me, what is it? She said, well, you know that all my family have gone now that I'm 96. My good friends have gone there in heaven And I'm worried because they have been there for many years. I'm not there, and they will be saying, where did she end up? (laughs) And I thought that was a lovely illustration of worrying. And in this passage this morning, Jesus addresses what does worrying look like? Now, for most of us, the last seven months have been tough. If you're watching from home on our live stream broadcast this morning, you will also know that, as a nation, we have had to face a global pandemic, major health crisis, international borders have been closed for many months, are beginning to open a little now, There has been a crisis in education with schools and colleges closed, although thankfully now beginning to open up. Theatres, churches, many across our nation still not open. And of course, we've got all of the COVID-19 protocols in place because we do have to be careful. In addition to all of that, we have had a difficult summer. Racial unrest, the destruction of small businesses, loss of employment, all leading to, as of yesterday, over 218,000 deaths. It has been a challenging seven months, to say the least. In our passage this morning, Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. And when we come into contact with a passage like that, we find it hard to see the connection with a passage that simply says, therefore do not worry about your life. But over the last seven months, that's pretty much all we have been doing. And we have rightly, responsibly, carefully responded to a major challenge at multiple levels, and rightly so. So how does our faith prepare us to respond in what is an extraordinary, unprecedented, challenging time? In the next few weeks, 
We'll move towards a presidential election. Thanksgiving is coming. Christmas will be right on its coattails. How does our faith equip, strengthen, and enable us to live out our faith day by day in the midst of some of the most difficult challenges you can imagine? Do we simply say, Jesus said, I tell you, do not worry about your life, and that's fine. Is there more to it than that? Now remember the context of this passage. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. And he reminded them then that prayer is not predicated on certain words at certain times and certain days of the week. Neither is prayer predicated on repeating endlessly the one prayer that you may have memorized as a child. He's saying, no, it's not predicated on any of that. It's predicated on the opening words of the Lord's Prayer and it begins, Our Father. It's predicated on relationship. That's where it begins. A deep, abiding, eternal relationship. A relationship of love and grace. Our Father. And then Jesus moves them on as we haven't had time to deal with it. And whenever we're going over a passage of Scripture, some Sundays we'll skip over passages. Some Sundays we'll take more time, almost like a helicopter ride. Quickly we'll move over some landscape. Other times we hover for a period and look in detail. And so we missed fasting, but we've moved to treasures in heaven and do not worry today. And as Jesus has been talking about prayer comes to this passage, do not worry, that helps us with our focus. And it helps us with our focus in this sense, that over the last seven months, each of us have at times shaken our head and thought, can this get any worse? Can this be any more complicated than it currently is? How do we respond to those challenges? The biblical principle when it comes to challenges is this. Challenge, a difficulty, comes our way. And we naturally, rightly look at the challenge and say, how should we respond to that? And that challenge can sometimes be so difficult that it dominates our minds. But please remember this. God is almost never focused on the challenged, but rather he's focused on you and equipping and enabling you to respond to that challenge. If you have friends who are sailors or you like maritime novels or movies, you will know that sailors will sometimes talk about the perfect storm. And a perfect storm is not a good thing. So the word perfect isn't the best phrase, but it's a perfect storm in this sense. There are multiple layers of challenges going on at the same time in a perfect storm at sea. It may be that there are 40 foot high swells or waves. A perfect storm, the temperature drops. There's freezing rain. There's hurricane force winds. The vessel itself is going up and down, up and down, dropping 40 feet every time. 
Sometimes it's going from side to side and rolling. That is the perfect storm. It is not good to be in a perfect storm. It often ends in disaster. And for us, the last seven months have felt a little like that. I think most of us would agree it's the perfect storm. Multiple things happening at multiple times. And as Jesus is speaking here, look at verse 22. It's a strange illustration. He's using it, of course, as a metaphor. And he talks about the eye. And he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Let me ask. Over the last six, seven months, what have you been focused on? Health issues? Of course. COVID-19? Naturally. Economy, of course. International trade, yes. Employment, yes. Multiplicity of things. But what Jesus is saying here is this, that if you're only focused on the challenge, you will never be equipped to deal with that challenge and others that come your way. Because the challenge itself can begin to dominate our thinking. It can begin to shape not only our thinking, but our attitude and how we respond to it. And Jesus is saying, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light. But I suspect for many of us over the last six and a half, seven months, we've become frustrated. Naturally. We've become critical of national leaders, local civic leaders. What are they doing? This is terrible. Why can't someone do something about it? And our eye shifts to cynicism, skepticism. We become angry and critical of everyone and everything. And what we find ourselves doing is, where our focus is, it determines what light comes into the mind and into the heart and into the soul. And if we are finding ourselves constantly critical of others, it may be this morning that God is saying to you, take a deep breath. Pause for a moment. Ask yourself, are you more Christ-like in October than you were in March? Or are you less Christ-like in your attitude? Chuck Swindoll, a very fine Christian communicator, written multiple books as a first-class preacher. In one of his books, he wrote these words. He said, I believe the single most significant decision I can make on a day-to-day basis is my choice of attitude. It is more important than my past, my education, my bankroll, my successes or failures, fame or pain. What other people think of me or say about me, my circumstances or my position, attitude keeps me going or cripples my progress. It fuels or assaults my hope. Chuck Swindoll. Is your attitude more Christ-like today than it was back in the spring? 
Or are you finding yourself getting eaten up with all that's going on around you? I'm sure you've heard the phrase that conflict reveals character. Conflict reveals character. Almost never makes character, but it reveals who you truly are. Are we as Christian people willing to step up and say, wait a minute, anyone can be cynical, anyone can be critical, anyone can live with doubt and suspicion, always attacking, but there's a better way. There is a way of love and grace, of bringing comfort and stability to a situation. Conflict reveals character. Remember, he's not so much focused on the challenge, although he knows every single thing about it, but he's focused on how we are responding to the challenge. Let me ask you, one of those fearless, searching, deeply intimate questions. Have you found yourself over the last six or seven months spending more time on your smartphone, tablet, iPad, more time listening to alarming headlines, finding yourself addicted to controversy and criticism and wallowing in skepticism, giving in to the darkness that tells us no one and nothing is to be trusted. As a nation, we are going down the drain at an unprecedented rate and there's nothing that can be done. Are you feeding your soul on doubt and mistrust? We saw it this past week. When two senators, after the hearing of a Supreme Court justice, moved towards each other, shook hands, and then embraced. And both of them were criticized. Both of them were criticized. Criticized heavily for seeking to get on together and produce a good outcome. Is that where we're going? Is that all we can expect? Doubt, harassment, conflict. Is that where we're going to live? The persistent pathology of pessimism. Is that where we are as a nation? But I want to tell you this this morning, and I've shared this with you before, and I'm absolutely convinced of it. A couple of years ago, I was visiting Washington, D.C. I was coming out of an area that had a pretty high security area. And a police officer, hearing my accent, said, where are you from? And I kind of straightened up a little and fixed my tie and said, I'm from Greenville, South Carolina. <laughs> and he said, okay, where are you originally from? And once we got chatting, he said to me, yes, I can hear it. 
And he said, how long have you been here? And I said, we moved in 2007. And he said, yes, I can hear that deep southern drawl developing in your voice as you talk to me. We had a little fun. And then he asked me what folks often ask Ruth and Michael and I. What has been the most surprising thing about living in the United States? And people expect us to say... The food has been a surprise, or driving on the other side of the road is a surprise, or literature, or architecture, or all sorts of things. But for Ruth and I, our answer is always the same. The people. Because in the United States today, if I can dare to give an observation, it's this. That you are absolutely convinced... That if you pray hard enough and sacrifice hard enough and show discipline and attitude, you can achieve anything. Anything. And I suspect we're beginning to lose a little of that. Let's not. Let's not give in to the darkness that comes before our eyes. Let's not allow it to seep into our soul and our character. Because character is made in conflict. Who are we becoming? More Christ-like or less Christ-like? And over the next few weeks, we will find ourselves tempted to go back there because we're heading towards a presidential election. And criticism and negativity capture headlines. But they begin to seep into the soul. And when you find yourself spending more time on your smartphone and your iPad than you do in His presence, seeking to grow and mature in your faith, depending on Him for your future, please remember... What were the words Jesus said? The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Are we giving in to the darkness? Are we tempted to wallow in suspicion and doubt, criticism, Cynicism. Is that, is that what defines us as individuals, as families, as a nation? No. I would want to say this passage teaches the very opposite. Now, when our focus is on Him, there is hope. There is newness of life. There is a future to come. Because in the midst of the perfect storm, please remember the words of the hymn writer. When talking of God, he says this of God. He is the one who moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the seas and rides upon the storm. He is a perfect saviour, capable of dealing with a perfect storm. And that's why the passage says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Don't feed your heart and mind and soul on the darkness. Don't go there. Put your focus 
on him, knowing that he has you in the palm of his hands. What does he say? Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Now is Jesus simply suggesting a laissez-faire approach to daily living? Is he saying hands off? Is he suggesting we should be casual about our education or our children's? Should we be irresponsible when it comes to mortgage payments or budgeting each month? Is he saying these things don't matter? He's doing the opposite. What he's saying is this, that regardless of what the challenge is, regardless of how strong, regardless of how overwhelming it threatens to be, do not worry, I have you. Focus on the main things because the main things are the main things. And in his sovereign power and care and grace for his children, he has us as individuals, as families, as a nation. You'll be tempted to believe otherwise, but come back to Scripture. Immerse yourself here Feed your soul on the truth of the gospel, not on the latest news headlines, because you know in 24 hours it will be on to another cycle of news news headlines. Focus on him. Now this morning, as most of you know, and if you're watching on our live stream this morning, you may not be aware of what's coming, so please be patient with me. Today is a special Sunday for us as a congregation, both today and next Sunday. Today is Stewardship Sunday. Next Sunday is Commitment Sunday. And Stewardship and Commitment Sundays are the two Sundays in the year when, as a congregation, we ask ourselves, how are we, both individuals and families, supporting the ministries that God has called us to? And if you're a member at First Presbyterian, this week you're going to get a letter from me, and inside is a commitment card. And that commitment card will help you to prayerfully think through how to support the work of First Pres in 2021. Now I know, as we've said, 2020 has been a tough year. And if you had asked me back in March, how is the church doing? What do you anticipate? I would have said to you, if we close for two months and we don't uplift an offering for another five months, we are going to feel that. I would have to tell you this morning this. We're not just surviving. We're thriving Sunday morning, our children and our youth are back meeting on campus. Sunday school groups and life groups are meeting again on campus. Our youth, last Sunday morning, we had so many, and we had many of them up here, or some of them up here as well, with new members joining, along with confirmands. We ran out of room down in Ignite last Sunday morning, even with all of our COVID restrictions in place. We have a communion service coming up on the 8th of November. We have the Kirking of the Tartan coming up on the 22nd. We have Thanksgiving coming. We have Christmas concerts coming. We have Christmas Eve services coming. It is getting busier and busier and busier. I would argue we're thriving. On Sunday mornings, on our live streaming broadcasts, consistently, since late April into May, we have 3,000 people watching 
each week. Isn't that incredible? 3,000 people. Normally we would have around 15, 1,600 folks on campus. But since the quarantine and COVID-19, our numbers have doubled on our live link. On a Wednesday evening, I teach a class on the New Testament book of Romans. Two weeks ago, 900 people watched that. And I thought, that can't possibly be right. And so I investigated a little with our internet provider, and it was 945 through plays. In other words, they weren't clicking on for two or three minutes and then saying, it's that Irish guy and moving on. They watched the whole thing. This past Wednesday, it was 784 over on Wednesday evening and the next few days. My sense is God is at work in our midst. We have heard some wonderful moments for missions. Recently, we heard of the academy, how well it's doing. Our finances have been consistent because of your commitment and dedication. And so this morning, please hear this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that week by week we can depend on you to fulfill the ministries God's called us to. And it's a remarkable thing. And if you're watching at home this morning and have been watching over the last few months and are not a member at First Pres and saying, Richard, I would like to give in some way, go on to the church website, firstpresgreenville.org. You'll find instructions on how to give there. And please give if you can, even if it's a single gift. That makes such a difference to us. Three weeks ago, we had a groundbreaking ceremony on our new campus development. And what a thrill that was. And it's extra thrilling because of the perfect storm the last seven months. And yet here we are, growing, thriving, thankfully, through the love and sovereign grace of God, actively at work in our midst. Let me close with a couple of thoughts this morning. This week as you receive your commitment card, be prayerful, be intentional. Pray over it as a family. Come next Sunday morning. Participate in the act of commitment. It's always an incredibly moving moment in any service. And this week, please remember exactly what the scripture says the eye is the lamp of the body what are you focused on and when you're tempted to focus on a perfect storm please remember we have a perfect savior the second half of the passage says therefore i tell you do not worry I received another email about six months ago and it was, I thought it was so funny that I wanted to share it this morning and it said this, from an older lady in fact, and she said, worrying works because 90% of what I worry about never happens. <laughs> you think, okay, I'm not convinced, but it was clever. It was very cleverly done. Find yourself lying awake at night, worrying about health, your family, state of the nation. Please understand this. Psalm 121 tells us this. He will not slumber nor sleep. And if he's staying up, you can go to sleep. You can. You can rest in him. 
conflict reveals character. Who are we becoming? What is our attitude? Where is our focus? Finally, this week, be a little more intentional of closing that smartphone, laptop, iPad, putting it to one side and focusing on another way. His way, His love, His grace. He's got us and He's far from finished with us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. Thank you for its challenge. Thank you for its assurance. And we ask, O oh God, that you would forgive us, please, for the moments when we get caught up in the cynicism, criticism, the anger of others. And help us to be fully focused and centered on you. Father, forgive us, cleanse us, strengthen us, equip us, and allow us, please, to rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.